recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink of Christianity.org. Today is, I believe, our fourth installment of Christiania Europe, a program that was designed to be an outreach to our kindred brethren in Europe, Britain, and otherwise. The um, co-host today, well, well, our co-host Sven Longshanks will not be able to make it today. He's had um, internet problems ever since a storm where he lives a couple of weeks ago took out his internet. He hopes to have it restored soon. He has been engaging in some of his other online endeavors because they're not that they don't require a quality connection. He has a um, a temporary internet connection, I, I should call it. It's wireless, and and it's not really um, amenable to a good voice, consistent voice connection. So hopefully he'll be here with us in two weeks when I will schedule the next installment of this program. The um, program last week I had forestalled until this week hoping to have Sven with us and and it didn't work out. That's okay. Tonight, well, this afternoon I should say, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read Martin Luther's last sermon. This is really an extension of the um, series presenting Martin Luther's On the Jews and Their Lies that I have been doing on Christiania Saturday's program and finished um, part 10 of Luther's essay last night with our 17th installment of that program. So that's becoming somewhat protracted. I hope people find it worth listening to. It's all pertinent to what's happened in our recent history, and to what's going on in the world today. So I'm going to present Martin Luther's last sermon, which is a warning against the Jews. Luther Luther was a native of Eisleben, Germany, a smaller town. And this is where he gave that last sermon. He gave this sermon several days before his death, and and we will present the sermon without commenting upon it, even though I'm awfully tempted to comment on practically every line. I won't, but I will make some comments after the sermon is presented. This is February of 1546. Martin Luther a warning against the Jews. This was translated by Wikisource, which is related to Wikipedia. It's the only English translation that I could find of Martin Luther's last sermon. It's been released by Wikisource into the public domain and by the translator into the public domain. So it will be reproduced with this podcast at Christogenia along with the appropriate credit. Now on to Martin Luther. Since I have been around a while, 
and it preached to you. And since I may die soon and not be able to preach to you any longer, I will bless you with this. I have prayed that you remain diligently in the word, which your preacher and pastor are teaching you truly by the grace of God and making you accustomed to the prayer that God would protect you from all the wise and clever that despise the doctrine of the gospel. For they often did much harm and yet might do much more. Worse than these, you have the Jews yet in the land who do great harm. We want to deal with them in a Christian manner now. Offer them the Christian faith that they would accept the Messiah who is even their cousin and has been born of their flesh and blood. That is rightly Abraham's seed, of which they boast. Even so, I am concerned that Jewish blood may no longer become deluded and impure. First of all, you should propose to them that they be converted to the Messiah and allow themselves to be baptized, that one may see this, that this is a serious matter to them, if not, then we would not permit them to live among us. For Christ commands us to be baptized and believe in him, even though we cannot now believe so strongly as we should. God is patient with us. Now here is what the Jews do. Daily, they only blaspheme and dishonor our Lord Jesus Christ. Since they do this and we know it, we should not permit it. Should I permit anyone to be with me who dishonors, blasphemes, and curses my Lord Christ. I make myself a partner in another's sins. I have enough sins of my own. Therefore, you who are Lord should not permit them to remain with us, but drive them away. However, if they are converted, abandon their usury and receive Christ, then we will willingly regard them as our brothers. Otherwise, nothing will come of it, for they go too far. They are our public enemies. They do not stop blaspheming our Lord Christ, calling the Virgin Mary a whore, Christ a bastard, and us changelings or abortions. If they could kill us all, they would gladly do it. They do it often, especially those who pose as physicians, though sometimes they help, for the devil helps to finish it in the end. They can also practice medicine, as in French Switzerland. They administer poison to someone from which he could die in an hour, a month, a year, 10 or 20 years, they are able to practice this art. Therefore, do not be involved with them as with those who do nothing else among you than heinously blaspheme our dear Lord Jesus Christ and deprive us of body, life, honor, and goods. Yet we will show them Christian love and pray for them that they may be converted to receive the Lord, whom they should properly honor more than we. Whoever will not do this is no doubt a malicious Jew who will not stop blaspheming Christ, draining you dry, and, if he can, 
killing you. Therefore, I beg that you do not make yourselves partners in another's sin. You have enough to do to pray to God that he would be gracious to you and preserve your rule as I still pray daily and hide myself under the protection of the Son of God, whom I hold and honor as my Lord. To him I must run and flee if the devil, sin, or other misfortune afflict me, for he is my protection as far as heaven and earth extend, and my mother hand under whom I crawl before the wrath of God. Therefore I can have no fellowship or patience with the obstinate blasphemers and defamers of this dear Savior. As a native of Eisleben, I have wanted to say this to you, as a final warning, that you do not become partners in another's sins, for I intend it well and truly to both the Lord's and subjects. If the Jews would be converted and stop their blaspheming and whatever else they have done to us, then we will gladly forgive them. If not, then we should not tolerate or permit them to be with us. At the beginning of this short sermon, Luther said that he may die soon and not be able to preach any longer. And he actually died only a few days later. In part 10 of his essay on the Jews and their lives, comparing his physical elements to the validity of certain false Jewish claims, Luther had said, indeed, we have captured them and hold them in captivity, he was being sarcastic there, just as I hold captive my gallstone, my bloody tumor, and all the other ailments and misfortunes which I have to nurse and take care of with money and goods and all that I have. So we see that Luther was suffering from several ailments three years before this sermon was given on the Jews and their lives. It was written in 1543. Luther had some health issues for quite some time. Here he says, if they could kill us all, they would do it gladly. They do it often, especially those who pose as physicians, although sometimes they help. So the devil helps to finish it in the end. Then Luther mentions they're practicing their ability. They were allowed to practice medicine in French Switzerland. And they administer poison to someone from which he could die in an hour, a month, a year, 10 years, or 20 years. So it seems plausible that Luther had experience with Jewish physicians and perhaps understood that some of them and their medicines made him worse rather than better. In other areas, Luther's accusations against the Jews were based on his own experience. And this also seems to be the case here. However, besides the accusations against the Jews over their practice of so-called medicine, in part 10 of 
on the Jews and their lives, Luther nicely summarized some of the other evils that the Jews had perpetrated against Christian society. And here are a few excerpts. And now a storm breaks over us with curses, defamation, and derision that cannot be expressed with words. They wish that sword and war, distress, and every misfortune may overtake us, a cursed goyim. And they vent their curses on us openly every Saturday in their synagogues and daily in their homes. They teach, urge, and train their children from infancy to remain the bitter, virulent, and wrathful enemies of the Christians. And if Luther only saw the Thirty Years' War coming, perhaps he did see it coming when half of Germany was exterminated in the fight over the Reformation or the dominance of the Pope. He goes on to say, Jerusalem was destroyed over 1,400 years ago. And at that time, we Christians were harassed and persecuted by the Jews throughout the world for about 300 years, as we said earlier. And that's attested to that the Jews were behind all the Roman persecution of Christians. It's attested to by prominent early Christian writers. He goes on to say, we might well complain that during that time they held us Christians captive and killed us, which is the plain truth. Furthermore, we do not know to the present day which devil brought them into our country. We surely did not bring them from Jerusalem. They walked on their own. They have been bloodthirsty, bloodhounds, and murderers. They walked on their own into Germany, I'm sorry. They have been bloodthirsty, bloodhounds, and murderers of all Christendom for more than 1,400 years in their intentions and would undoubtedly prefer to be such with their deeds. Thus they have been accused of poisoning water and wells, of kidnapping children, of piercing them through with an awl, of hacking them in pieces, and in that way secretly cooling their wrath with the blood of Christians, for all of which they have often been condemned to death by fire. And still, God refused to lend an ear to the holy penitence of such great saints and dear children. The unjust God let such holy people curse so vehemently in vain against our Messiah and all Christians. He does not care to see or have anything to either do with them or with their pious conduct, which is so thickly, thickly, heavily, heavily coated with the blood of the Messiah and his Christians. For these Jews are much holier than were those in the Babylonian captivity who did not curse, who did not secretly shed the blood of children, nor poison the water, but who rather, as Jeremiah had instructed them, prayed for their captives, the Babylonians. And Luther has a disconnect where he really doesn't see the difference between the ancient Israelites and today's Jews. He imagines Christ, as we see in his warning against the Jews, right to the end, he imagines Christ to have been of the kindred of the Jews. When history and the New Testament actually refute 
that idea. But Luther was blind to that and accepted at face value, right to the days before his death, the Jewish claims that they were Israelites, which is simply not true. Luther goes, for they are a heavy burden, a plague, a pestilence, a sheer misfortune for our country. Proof of this is found in the fact that they have often been expelled forcibly from a country, far from being held captive in it. Thus they were banished from France, which was an especially fine nest. Very recently they were banished by our dear Emperor Charles from Spain, the very best nest of all. The Jews did very well in Spain. This year they were expelled from the entire Bohemian crown land, where they had one of the biggest nests, one of the best nests, in Prague, meaning in Czechoslovakia. The Czech part of Czechoslovakia was still called Bohemia by Luther in the 16th century. If you cannot tolerate a person in a country or home, does that constitute holding him in captivity? In fact, the Jews had claimed that um, they were in captivity from Palestine, and, and Luther's asserting that they were not being held captive at all, that they had every right, to, every right and every ability to simply leave Germany, and he wished that they would. Does that constitute holding him in captivity? In fact, they hold us Christians captive in our own country. They let us work in the sweat of our brow to earn money and property while they still sit behind the stove, idle away the time, fart and roast pears. They stuff themselves, guzzle and live in luxury and ease from our hard-earned goods. With their accursed usury, they hold us and our property captive. Moreover, they mock and deride us because we work and let them play the role of lazy squires at our expense and in our land. Thus, they are our masters, and we are their servants, with our property and sweat and our labor. And by way of reward and thanks, they curse our Lord and us. Should the devil not laugh and dance if he can enjoy such a fine paradise at the expense of us Christians, he devours what is ours to his saints, the Jews, and repays us by insulting us, in addition to mocking and cursing both God and man. So, we are even at fault in not avenging all this innocent blood of our Lord and of the Christians which they shed for 300 years after the destruction of Jerusalem and the blood of the children they have shed since then which still shines forth from their eyes and their skin. The Jews, of course, were accused of engaging in ritual murder of Christian children. Um, a lot of people dismiss those accusations offhandedly as being unsubstantiated, but to do so would dismiss 
so many Christian witnesses and attested cases in so many countries throughout Europe where the Jews were driven off from principality after principality for that very reason, even expelled from England in 1290 A.D. for the primary reason of missing children in England and Jewish ritual murder. Luther says, we are, we are at fault in not slaying them. Rather, we allow them to live freely in our midst despite all their murdering, cursing, blaspheming, lying, and defaming. We protect and shield their synagogues, houses, life, and property. In this way, we make them lazy and secure and encourage them to fleece us boldly of our money and goods, as well as to mock and deride us with a view to finally overcoming us, killing us all for such a great sin, and robbing us all of our property as they daily pray and hope. From their blasphemy against Christ and Christianity, aside from their blasphemy against Christ and Christianity, we see that some of Luther's charges against the Jews include the following. Physicians poisoning unsuspecting victims. Missing children poisoning the wells, poisoning the food supply. Today we have vaccines. We have chemotherapy and all sorts of other so-called cures that kill people. Jewish behavior has not changed since Luther's time. It has only become organized and legalized. The Jewish-controlled American Medical Association, the Jewish-controlled pharmaceutical corporations, medical insurance companies, they have all promoted the use of vaccines and forced use of vaccines upon citizens in Christian society. They promoted so-called cures such as chemotherapy for cancer and the dispensation of all sorts of sorcery of pharmaceuticals for every perceived disorder. And they're poisoning us just like they did in Luther's time. They're only more sophisticated about it and do it in the name of so-called science today. Missing children. Children missing in Jewish ritual murder cases throughout England, France, Germany, Italy, and especially in the East, which was more tolerant of Jews, in Romania, in Poland, Children missing all the time in medieval Europe, which caused many pogroms of Jews, where Jews were run out of place after place after place for hundreds of years. Today, along with the children who are simply kidnapped off of our streets, we have child protective services. We have forced foster care. Foster care. 1,400 girls have been raped in Rotterdam because of British Child Protective Services and Forced Foster Care. 
Jewish behavior has not changed since Luther's time. It has only become legalized and organized, and organized within the government. And it's the same thing. It's the rape and looting and pillaging of Christian children from their homes and families under the guise of protecting them. Poisoning the wells. The Jews were accused many times of poisoning the wells of Christians in the Middle Ages. The Jews had their own separate water supplies. They had their own separate wells for quote-unquote kosher reasons. Today, we have chlorine and fluoride added to public water supplies, supposedly for our health and it's destroying us, our wells are still being poisoned. Now it's organized and orchestrated by our own governments. Who did that? Organizations like the pharmaceutical companies, the dental associations that the Jews have created, the medical associations that the Jews have created. Poisoning the food supply. Today there are all sorts of unnatural ingredients added to foods as fillers, preservatives, coloring, sweeteners, all which by themselves are unfit for human ingestion. And we eat them every day. All of this is aside from the obvious moral problems such as the Jewish promotion of usury, idolatry, and pornography, which now permeates our entire society. The Jewish behavior of the Middle Ages, which Luther was railing against, is now the norm. It's normal behavior. It's expected in our once-Christian society. Luther was right, and sadly, People today who have no sense of history and no understanding of Scripture whatsoever cannot even see it. I want to repeat and comment further upon the end of Luther's brief final sermon. Aside from all his problems thinking that the Jews are Israel and could be converted, which is a... Um, An age-old problem with Catholic universalism, and Luther was educated as a, as a Catholic and accepted most of the foundational precepts of Catholic universalism. He says, yet yeah, we will show them Christian love and pray for them, like praying for the devil, right? That they may be converted to receive the Lord, whom they should properly honor more than we, Whoever will not do this is no doubt a malicious Jew. Luther distinguished in on the Jews and their lies between religious Jews, religious Jews who, who were just drones who did what their rabbis told them, and malicious Jews who will not stop blaspheming Christ. Actually, Luther should have realized that those lines were drawn in the first century, that those who converted to Christ in the first century were his sheep, John chapter 10, that those who did not follow him 
were not his sheep. They were Edomite and Canaanite bastards. Luther missed that. He missed that entire aspect of history and scripture. The wheat and the tares were divided in the first century, and all who did not follow Christ then were indeed malicious Jews, and his blood is on them and their children. Of course they won't stop draining you dry, and if he can, killing you, as Luther says of malicious Jews in that very paragraph. But even people, and there are many on the, on, on the Internet, there are many apologies for Luther's position on the Jews. And people who quote that paragraph about praying for and, and, and hoping that the Jews are converted fail to quote the next one and fail to understand it, where Luther says, Therefore I beg that you do not make yourselves partners in another sin." You have enough to do to pray to God that he would be gracious to you and preserve your rule as I still pray daily and hide myself under the protection of the Son of God, whom I hold in honor as my Lord. To him I must run and flee if the devil, sin, or other misfortune afflict me. For he is my protection as far as heaven and earth extend, and my mother hand under whom I crawl before the wrath of God. And therefore, then he says the important part, therefore I can have no fellowship or patience with the obstinate blasphemers and defamers of this dear Savior. And there are many apologists for Jews that quote Luther's lines about praying for them, but omit Luther's lies about not having any fellowship or patience with them. And Luther said in closing, on that note, I have wanted to say this to you as a final warning, that you do not become partners in another's sins. For I intended well and truly to both the lords and subjects, he's talking about the Christian Germans. If the Jews would be converted and stop their blaspheming and whatever else they have done to us, then we will gladly forgive them. Well, of course, they cannot do that. Those bad trees cannot produce good fruit. If not, then we should not tolerate or permit them to be with us. Luther advocated the removal of Jews who denied Christ from Christian society. He advocated that 400 years before Adolf Hitler attempted it. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul wrote, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, of which usury is a facet, let it not be once named among you as become of saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, 
which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, who are they who rejected Christ. And Paul says, Be not ye, ye therefore partakers with them. To be a follower of God, from Paul's perspective, one must be a follower of Christ. So the Apostle John wrote in his second epistle, Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bids him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Christians are warned that if they continue to embrace the world, they will suffer the punishments of the world, where it says in Revelation chapter 18, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. John says that those who reject Christ must be rejected. If you accept them, you become partakers in their evil deeds. Paul says, be not ye partakers with them. Modern churches teach people to hate the sin and love the sinner. Paul said in Romans, at the end of chapter 1, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and that would include all those who reject Christ, because no one goes to the Father except through Christ. There's no path to the Father except through Christ. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. All these things Martin Luther accused the Jews of doing and then said, do not be partakers in another man's sins. Paul said, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. If we have pleasure in them that reject and blaspheme our Savior and God, we become partners in those sins. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what Martin Luther was saying. Modern churches say, 
love the sinner and hate the sin. The Word of God teaches people to put the sinners out of our communities. As the Apostle John said of those who reject Christ, not to even greet them, lest you become partakers in their evil deeds. Paul of Tarsus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, from verse 9, said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, by which he meant the people that rejected Christ, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. For then ye must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, which describes just about all the Jews, with such a one, not even to eat. For what have I have to do to judge them also that are without, meaning that we shouldn't judge those outside. Do not ye judge them that are within, meaning we should judge those among us, among Christians, in the Christian congregation. But them that are outside, them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. In other words, we put people who do those things outside of the Christian congregation, and God will judge them. And that includes all the Jews. That's what Martin Luther was teaching, that if they did not accept Christ, and if they did not cease from their usury, which Luther, and which every Christian should fully reject, that they must be put out of Europe, very simple. That is the basic teaching of Martin Luther and Lutheranism concerning the Jews. <laughs> I'm going to read from um, Wilhelm Marr to demonstrate that this was still and 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 a serious problem in the late 19th century and that its roots were recognized. Now, Wilhelm Marr, just like Martin Luther, took for granted the claims of Jewish identity, that they were true when they certainly were not true. But Wilhelm Marr, like Martin Luther, understood that Jewish behavior and especially usury were adverse to Germanic civilization. Even though he didn't really frame it in the Christian terms that Luther framed it. And he says, it is easier, this is Wilhelm Marr, from the victory of Judaism over Germanism, written 50 years before the rise of 
Adolf Hitler. It is easier to provide an illustration of what our generation, our current generation, will likely have to experience. Because, provided not all indications fail us, Jewry will have to face a final, desperate assault, particularly by Germanism, before it will achieve authoritarian dominance. Well, Wilhelm Marr may have been blind as to the identity of both Jews and Germans, the true biblical identity. However, he certainly understood that the two would have a final conflict, but that Jewry would indeed achieve authoritarian dominance. That final conflict happened 70 years later in the Second World War. And Jewry did achieve authoritarian dominance, which it has today in Europe and in America, mostly because the English and the Americans were whores for the Jews and helped them achieve that authoritarian dominance. If you don't believe that Jewry has authoritarian dominance in Germany, go to Germany and try to speak against the Jews. Try to repeat Martin Luther's words today in the public square in Berlin or Stuttgart or, or, or Nuremberg or Frankfurt. The Jewish question, Wilhelm Marr writes, is of a political social nature. The Judaization, the Judaization, I can't say that word, Judaization of the Germanic world. And, and, and Wilhelm Marr saw that in the 19th century because it began in the 18th century. The Judaization of the Germanic world has created concepts and theories of individual social freedom which can no longer be described as freedom, but only as insolence. And that's what our nation here in America experienced in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, until we have a society that's absolutely broken down from its previous moral values. And Marr says, its practical consequences have become intolerable even to Judaized Germanism, meaning that the society under this concept of theories of individual social freedom has become absolutely repulsive even to Judaized Germans. The opposition against usury is the first popular expression of the coming clash. Of course, there's all of the other facets of Jewish immorality that they have imposed on Christian society. Pornography, drug use, and, 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 and all of the other problems in our society today. However, Mar counted usury as the first problem with the Jews, so did Martin Luther, so did Adolf Hitler. One looks into an abyss of moral corruption if one sees in the press the daily more numerous offers for investment bargains, invitations extended to people with a little capital to participate in Lombard deals, 
guaranteed to yield 20 to 30% per month. Well, we saw that same thing in the, the Wall Street booms of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, which all turned into a bust, and the Jews took everybody's money. Some of these fund negotiators may be hidden agents of larger capitalists. Others may be enticing lesser capitalists to lead a comfortable life as rentiers by turning them into leeches of poverty and misery. This is worse than graft because graft exploits only the stupid, while usury, by satanically enticing third parties to join, exploits poverty and misery. In our parliaments, where the topic of usury is paraded about as a burning importance, one can, as usual, only hear twaddle. The dogma of individual freedom, which really stands for the impertinence and gall of the most unbridled avarice, has become such a basic tenet of society that our valiant representatives, what a despicable picture they offer attempt to make an omelet without breaking the egg. Why, one might also have to curb the unbridled manipulations of big industry and of big capital. And this is the reason why the question of usury remains without practical response and does not advance beyond theoretical resolution. The doctrinarism of our Judaic society is an aid in getting around the cliff of usury. The impoverished members of every layer of our society remain victims of usury and of its corrupted German helpers, who with the help of Jews would love to make 20 to 30 percent per month from the hardship and misery of the poor. If in the face of such official toleration, they would at least not importune us to show respect for the Christian, and he says that sarcastically in quotes, for the Christian Germanic state. He understood that usury was anti-Christian, just as Luther did. It may be possible, but it won't work. That will be the end of the parliamentary filibuster regarding the problem of usury. In the meantime, the cancer of usury spreads even farther in society. The inner bitterness against Jews increases from hour to hour, exactly as in the Middle Ages under similar but less grandiose circumstances, and an explosion is inevitable. That explosion culminated in National Socialist Germany and its destruction created the authoritarian Jewish dominance that Wilhelm Marr foresaw, which we have to this very day. Thomas Aquinas has the solution from his letter to Margaret, the Duchess of Flanders. The Jews may not licitly keep those things which they have extorted from others through usury. Martin Luther 
two or three hundred years, maybe. I think Aquinas was sometime in the 14th century, 13th century. Martin Luther, two or three hundred years after St. Thomas Aquinas, understood the same problem. Through usury, the Jew has been able to subvert the entire Christian society. Everything else which has happened subsequently, all of the other evils of our society have came to be international corporatism, globalism, the, the immigration problems that we face today, the, the vast shifts in, in wealth from white Christian society to these alien third world peoples that simply burn it up and piss it away and, and demand more. All of these things have been able to come into being because Christian society accepted Jewish usury and that was the birth of capitalism in the 18th century and even before then in some places such as England. Sadly, Lutherans today reject Martin Luther. They reject his on the Jews and their wives. What is the Missouri Synod's response? This is a paper from the Lutheran Missouri Synod here in North America. What is the Missouri Synod's response to the anti-Semitic statements made by Luther in volume 47 of Luther's works on the Jews and their lives? While the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, holds Martin Luther in high esteem for his bold proclamation and clear articulation of the teachings of Scripture. Now, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth because rejecting what Luther said about the Jews, that they should either leave Europe or turn to Christ, and if they didn't turn to Christ, they should leave Europe, is based entirely on historical Jewish behavior and on the teachings of Scripture. So the Missouri Synod is just full of it. And they say that they hold Martin Luther in high esteem for his bold proclamation and clear articulation of the teachings of Scripture. But they say it deeply regrets and deplores statements made by Luther which express a negative and hostile attitude toward the Jewish people. In light of the many positive and caring statements concerning the Jews made by Luther throughout his lifetime, it would not be fair on the basis of these few regrettable and uncharacteristic negative statements to characterize, to characterize the reformer as a rabid anti-Semite. The LCMS, the Lutheran Church of the Missouri Synod, however, does not seek to excuse these statements of Luther, but denounces them without denouncing Luther's theology. You can't denounce these statements of Luther without denouncing his theology. He understood fully 
that Jewish behavior was anti-Christian and anti-scriptural and deplored them to turn to Christ because he had the mistaken belief that Jews could possibly turn to Christ. To turn to Christ or to leave Europe. It was that simple. Adolf Hitler had basically offered them the same thing. Stop being Jews or leave Germany or be forcibly removed from Germany. It's that simple. And the Jews couldn't stand for that. It's they who have destroyed Christian society, and now they own it. So, of course, they're not, gonna, they're not going to stand for it. If you gain property, even by deceit and treachery, once you hold the property, you're not going to just voluntarily give it up because you've been identified as a bad person and leave. And all of these other things that we suffer today, whether it be the corrupted idea of, of the value of Jewish medicine and vaccines in society, whether it be the corrupted idea of um, changing the genetic structure of our food or poisoning our water, all of these things that many people in Europe and America are waking up to, the problems with diversity and multiculturalism in society, all of these things which people complain about every day, the high taxes that they have to pay, international commerce and globalism and how it has destroyed jobs, all of these things. There are millions of Europeans and Americans that are awakened to the evils of all of these things individually. They can all be traced back to the Jewish problem, usury, and the evils of capitalism, which all go hand in hand. We do not have one without the other in modern European history. They are all integrally connected. And the things that the Jews have done to Christian society through capitalism, they were doing to Christian society on the sneak throughout the Middle Ages, poisoning the wells, Jewish ritual murder of children, kidnapping of children. The Jew hasn't changed. Only now he's organized and he is legal. All of these seemingly disparate things had the same root causes. There are... Um, I'm going to give one example. When you look up Lutherans, when you investigate the, um, the Internet, and, and look for Lutherans and, and their reactions to Martin Luther and his statements about the Jews. 
I'm going to give uh, one example from a person who I can only describe as a bimbo. She's a Caucasian, blonde, fair-skinned, typical what what men in 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 today's society would what would disparage as the typical bimbo. She claims to be an authority on the Bible, at least to the point where um, she actually wrote a book called A Year of Biblical Womanhood. She quotes some scriptures about Jesus and love, but has no idea what Christ said about his enemies and those who reject him. And she follows after um, Luther in some of those ideas, but that's because the Lutheran church has taken everything which Luther writes that's positive out of context, and they suppress everything that Luther wrote concerning the realities of Jewish character and behavior. And I'm going to quote this bimbo who says, So on Saturday, I learned that the great reformer, Martin Luther, was an anti-Semite. And I mean a real burn-down-their-houses-and-cut-off-their-limbs anti-Semite. He called for violence, dismemberment, arson, expulsion, and death, and provided material that would later be used by the Nazis to stir up anti-Jewish sentiment among the German people. And she actually quotes a paragraph from the Jews and her lies here. And she says, well, she quotes, my advice, as Martin Luther said, my advice, as I said earlier, is first that their synagogues be burned down and that all those who are able to toss sulfur and pitch, it would be good if someone could also throw in some hellfire. Second, that all their books, their prayer books, their Talmudic writings, also the entire Bible, be taken from them, not leaving them one leaf, and that these be, be preserved for those who may be converted. Third, that they be forbidden on pain of death to praise God, to give thanks, to pray, and to teach publicly among us and in our country. Because Luther understood that Every time they prayed, only blasphemies and cursing came forth from their mouths. Then she quotes Luther as saying, Fourth, that they be forbidden to utter the name of God within our hearing. For we cannot, with a good conscience, listen to this or tolerate it. The rulers must act like a good physician, who, when gangrene has set in, proceeds without mercy to cut, saw, and burn flesh veins, bone, and marrow. Such a procedure must be followed in this instance. Burn down their synagogues. Forbid all that I enumerated earlier. Force them to work and deal harshly with them. If this does not help, we must drive them out like mad dogs. Luther had spent 10 or 11 parts of his paper on the Jews and their lies, enumerating Jewish lies, explaining Jewish, treacherous Jewish behavior all throughout his paper 
And this woman takes a quote from the end of the paper, from Luther's conclusions, and she says, and I'm sure she didn't read the first 80 pages of it, and she says, I had no idea. I know, I know. I've been a Protestant all my life, and a politically correct progressive for the past five years. So this is something I should have known about, but I didn't. And the news hit me hard. I fumed. I cried, and, and then she whines like a typical, I, I don't know, bimbo. I ate an entire plate of leftover pasta at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then she goes on to say, it's a bit like finding out that your favorite uncle deals drugs. How does she know? How does she compare Luther to her favorite uncle? She has no idea what the man ever wrote. It's a bit like finding out that your favorite uncle deals drugs. How could he be favorite if she has no idea of his substance? She made an idol out of Luther. Now she finds what he's really about, and she's upset. And she says, or that your most beloved poet killed herself. What would, how could you have a most beloved poet if you never read the poetry? But this is so typical or that your favorite childhood pastor defrauded the congregation for years. Well, every one of her pastors is defrauding the congregation because obviously no one who calls themselves Lutherans actually taught her anything about Luther. This is so typical of modern I want to say Americans, but it's also typical of modern Europeans, of modern white people everywhere, to claim to be a follower of Christ and know nothing about what Christ actually said, to claim to be a follower of Luther and know nothing about what Luther actually said. Oh, I'm a Lutheran. Oh, really? What did Luther say about this or that? What did Luther say about the Jews? She didn't know. This is a, a, a middle-aged, supposedly Christian woman who actually wrote a book of, uh, about a year of biblical womanhood, and she's advertising it on her website. She knows not a damn thing about the Bible. Luther was only following Christ in his statements about the Jews. Everything Luther said about the Jews, the apostles said about the Jews, those who rejected Christ, that they should burn in hell, the lake of fire. Christ said that about the damned Jews. This woman doesn't know a thing about Luther, claims to be a Lutheran and a biblical authority. Imagine that. She says, it's like finding out that your favorite uncle deals drugs or that your most beloved poet killed herself or that your childhood pastor defrauded the congregation for years. It throws off your equilibrium, rocks your sense of security somehow. A baseball bat would throw off her equilibrium a little better. She said, I already knew that Luther had some skeletons in his closet. I read his strong words about women. Of course, women shouldn't speak in a congregation, according to Paul. This bimbo's writing books. Catholics and those fools who proposed that the earth moved around the sun. But I chalked all of that up to context and figured he was ahead of his time in every other way. 
But the kind of hate found in Luther's writings about the Jews is so visceral. So contrary to the teaching of Jesus, it made me wonder, didn't the Apostle John teach that he... He that loves God, he that loves not, knows not God, for God is love. Well, the Apostle John also taught that he who rejects Christ, do away with. Don't even talk to those people. Put them off. Get rid of them. So she quotes John, and she doesn't even know what John said about the Jews. This is so typical of the average Christian of the average non-Christian in America or Europe, that they make judgments based on their emotions, which they feel today, and they are totally disconnected from 2,000 or 5,000 years of their, the history of their own race and people. So we have pagans who are onto the treachery of the Jews, and they throw out Christianity entirely, saying it's Jewish. Christianity is absolutely anti-Jewish. It's been absolutely anti-Jewish since its very inception, and that was thousands of years before Christ. And if they had any sense, they would study that history too. Adolf Hitler said that defending his race, he was defending the creation of God against the treachery of the Jew. Adolf Hitler was indeed the explosion that Wilhelm Marr foresaw. It was inevitable. But because the rest of his own race was in bed with the Jew, Adolf Hitler failed. The only thing that can defend our race against the treachery of the Jews is a return to true Christianity, not Judeo-Christianity. Paganism could not defend us against the Jews. Pagans never stood up for moral justice for any nation in Europe and ejected the Jews. The Roman pagans didn't eject the Jews. Jewish usurers had free reign in Rome. They were never ejected from Rome. Not on the basis of usury. The only time the Jews were ejected from Rome that I can think of in history was because of the trouble that the Christians were causing Jews in Rome in the reign of the Emperor Claudius. Under pagan Europe, the Jews were having a hell of a wonderful time with their usury, with their vice, with the ancient versions of Sodom and Gomorrah that they peddled everywhere they went.
when Christians rose up and ejected the Jews in Gothic Spain, in Byzantium, in Italy, then the Jews outside of Christendom sought ways to destroy Europe. If they can't destroy it from within, they'll try to destroy it from without. If our race had held the Jews without, they would never have been able to destroy it at all because we overcame the conquests which the Jews had attempted through the Arabs and the Turks and the Mongols. We overcame them at great expense, but we overcame them. And we will overcome the Jews in Christ and no other way. We will be back here, hopefully with Sven Longshanks, in two weeks. Praise Yahweh, and thank you for listening. The Martin Luther series will commence in the near future. It's almost over. It's almost completed in the near future on Christianity Saturdays. Good night.